This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 1037 the game and welcome everybody to under the dome with cd after last week moved from 9 to 11 we are back we are live, as always, from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Make it a great one, everybody. Hope we have a great Saturday afternoon. And you make it a good one, or should I say a tremendous one. And hopefully you've been enjoying yourself. The Twin Peaks hotline is wide open, 337-706-0111. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing, so be it. Through that old school FM dial, the Tower of Power, too sweet to be sore, funky like a monkey, sky's the limit, and space is the place, brother. We talking about that FM dial, 1037, the game, oh yeah. Or always through the free mobile app, you can listen to us worldwide through that free mobile app. Just download it today on iPhone or Android or even 1037thegame.com or it's 2021. Come on now. You probably got a smart speaker in line around somewhere. You can listen to us through there as well. Just tell your smart speaker to play 1037 the game. It is just that simple. And hopefully you're enjoying the show nonetheless, any way that you do so. But now it's time to kind of get down to brass tacks. To get down to what I like to say all the time. What's causing all this? We talk about it every Saturday. This is how the show starts off outside of football season. And it's pretty much time to get right down to it and talk about our Saturday sports sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. It's the final battle. I've mentioned in the past how much I love trilogies. I think I did this back in August. Talked about my top five favorite trilogies of all time in the world of sports. And this is absolutely going to be an amazing end to possibly the greatest trilogy in the history of the NFL. In one corner, you have the 42-year-old patron saint of the Crescent City in Drew Brees. In the other corner, you have the 43-year-old all-time heel, uh, and Tom Brady, accompanied to ringside by his tag team partners, the former 24-7 champ, Rob Gronkowski, and the completely bat-bleep insane Antonio Brown. These two juggernauts will face off for what we uh, all assume will be the final time ever, and it's going to be an absolute war. The Bucks are a different monster then than what they were back in Week 1 and are definitely on another level compared to what team... That team they outplayed all the way back in week nine. This team hasn't lost since November 29th. Having that extremely late bye week definitely helped. And now one win away from making the NFC title game for the first time in almost 20 years. 
all week long, I've been waffling back and forth on my pick. Because it just feels like we're talking about the postseason. We're talking about playoff Rondo in basketball. This is postseason. Tom Brady, he's a lot like Elliot Ness. Untouchable. 31-11 overall. Like, that alone had me convinced that something was going to happen. A phantom roughing the passer call late in the ball game. Some really ticky-tack penalties slash no calls like the Saints-Pads game all the way back in 2013. If you remember that game, you know all too well how much of a pain in the ass that was to watch that Saints team fall to the Pats the way that they did. Very much some dubious calls in that ball game. I was able to purge all that negative energy out and basically puke it out. I think that's what y'all should do. Puke out that negative energy and realize that you are watching possibly two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And I think we can say that unequivocally, undisputably. The stats bear it out. That Drew Brees and Tom Brady are the two top guys of all time in the sport of professional football in their particular position. I was able to purge all that. And I've come to the realization I'm comfortable with whatever happens tomorrow night inside the Superdome. Tomorrow night, I'm going to watch these two go at it. If the Saints win, hell yeah. Then they might go to the frozen tundra and take on the Green Bay Packers. That is, if the Los Angeles Rams don't do what we all want them to do and give us the rematch of all rematches. But I had some conversations with friends this week about this trilogy. And had me thinking about those great sports trilogies I talked about back in August. I wound up going back into the archives of the show notes, which is a really cool thing in 2021. I can actually go back and look at different things I've said so I know when I've said something really stupid. And I thought about it. And for a while, I had thought this is going to be like Rock Austin 3. If you remember WrestleMania 19, the Rock had lost to Stone Cold twice at WrestleMania before. He had never beaten the beaten Stone Cold Steve Austin, never beat the Texas Rattlesnake. But The Rock finally did at WrestleMania 19 after failing at Mania's 15 and 17. I hope we don't see that, and we see Drew Brees continue that final push for one more win and one more Super Bowl for number 9, because that's the way this story should end. It shouldn't end with a loss to Tom Brady, and Tom Brady get one step closer to doing something no other team has ever done and play in their home stadium for the Super Bowl. If you're expecting it to be another beatdown of the media-anointed GOAT Tom Brady, I don't know what to tell you because this Bucks team is like a fully evolved Charizard with A.B. fully indoctrinated in the system along with Gronk and maybe Rojo and also Leonard Fournette. Arian says Leonard Fournette is starting in this contest, so I think that alone you've got to be concerned about it because you saw what they did this past weekend against the Washington football team, but there's still some stuff that I think everybody has to look at. The Saints are more prepared for this one. And for me, a lot of it has to do with the front four, the elite four of this defense. Trey Henderson has been performing at a pretty damn elite level this season, probably one of the breakout stars of this team. And having him back in that number for Sunday is absolutely a big key to victory. Without him, the pass rush wouldn't be nearly as effective. And this offensive line is a pretty damn subpar. Washington football team's defense, which hasn't been that great, had three sacks on Brady in the wild card round alone. There's an old saying, to control the means of production. Control the means of production, to be able to control 
your own fate in a ball game whenever you know that there's so much riding on it that you control the line. You control the trenches. You control that line. You control that offensive line. You're able to bring pressure and make Tom Brady uncomfortable. You have every chance to get things done. You control the means of production in the sport of professional football. I've been sitting here the last few days jumping back and forth on it, but I am absolutely certain that we see a Saints win 27-24. Book it. Saints win 27-24. I think we see a late defensive stop, turnover, whatever it is. There's going to be something going on in the fourth quarter, probably the last like seven, eight minutes of that ball game that turns the game into the Saints' favor. I think we also see the Saints use a lot more of the run game. And I'll tell you why. Look at how they performed in the second half against the Chicago Bears. I think we see that more in the entire game at the control. Probably the most important number in all of football. T.O.P. Time of possession. The Saints, when they are absolutely dominating the time of possession in certain games, they roll. This needs to be that type of game. We need to see that type of offense where they're methodical, where they put together some methodical like eight, seven, eight minute drops. You do that, you can wind up making the NFC title game for the first time in a couple of years, and then you take on, be it the young Jared Goff, or take on another king in AA Ron Rogers. I think I, I like their chances in that game. Tomorrow night, Saints win. 27 to 24. It's the utmost confidence in him. I am looking forward to seeing what's going to be going on with this franchise in the not too distant future. And the Saints move on to the next round. I hope to God it happens because it's needing to happen. 2021 needs to be continue to be a great year. I need everybody right around five o'clock. To all put their hands up like they're getting the spirit bomb ready and making the Drew Brees prayer circle before game time. Raise your hands up with me right now and lend your energy to Drew Brees and the Saints like a spirit bomb to make sure they can defeat the evil that is Majin Tom Brady Boo. We need to beat him once and for all and send him into the ether. Then, now, forever, send him off in his career on a negative note. Send him off to Giselle Bunchen, where she makes more money than him, to be honest with you. Let's see that happen. Let's end the tyranny of Tom Brady. All right, that is your Saturday Sports Sermon. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Got a great show for you today. Going to have on at, at 11.30. I want to say 10.30. I'm so used to having this guy on at 10.30. Back in the old under the dome time slot, but we're back from eleven to one, and we're gonna have on our guy Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports at eleven thirty. We can talk about what's going on in the sport of college football. The season's wrapped up. We're gonna talk about that with him, and also Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast. Canal Street Chronicles is gonna be joining the program at twelve thirty. We're gonna talk about the Bucks and Bree and the Saints part Trey, the third and final act. The final battle, two all-time greats. I cannot wait for this ball game. Hopefully you can't as well, because I think it's absolutely the game of the week in the NFL. I'll talk about that a little bit more in hour number two.
but it's under the dome at CD. No holds barred. The Twin Peaks hotline is open if you want to get your thoughts out on the New Orleans Saints. Because I know there's a lot of negativity. I'm going to try and be the power of positivity, the eternal optimist in me, which doesn't come out all that often. I'm more of a pessimist for the most part. I'm, almost, I'm kind of a realist, I would say, if anything. But I can be very pessimistic on a lot of different things. And I might get a little pessimistic in our next segment because I'm going to get into some Houston Astros baseball talk. I know it's January. I know it's January. But we got some news about those Houston Astros that I want to get to. We'll talk about that next. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. CD may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay up there, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. We feel like we've put our best foot forward. I thought that his uh, his group did a, a really good job of being up to speed on um the market and the factors that go into arbitration. And I think we had a very respectful conversation, but at the end of the day, we had an honest disagreement. And that's why the system is in place. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And that was Astros General Manager James Click had a press conference yesterday after they had some of their negotiations. One of them held through with Carlos Correa. Get to that in a little bit, but first things first. We had some news come out from uh, Adam Schefter just now saying no positive test today amongst the eight remaining NFL teams. So the divisional round playoff games are good to go with Sundays right on track as well. Get to why I'm talking about that right in just a little bit, especially involving the New Orleans Saints. But first, you can win a brand new 2021 Ford Bronco. I don't know if you can request a specific color and have it be a white Bronco, but you can win a 2021 Ford Bronco by just spending Twenty dollars. Yep, twenty dollars. Buy your raffle ticket today to win one of the hottest vehicles on the market at BroncoRaffle.com or at Hub City Ford and the Delta Media Studios. Ticket sales benefit nonprofit Catholic Radio, and the drawing will be held on May fifteenth. But you better hurry up because tickets are limited. Once again, buy your raffle ticket at BroncoRaffle.com or at Hub City Ford and the Delta Media Studios. So buy your raffle ticket today to win a brand-new 2021 Ford Bronco presented by Hub City Ford. Again, I don't know if you can request it to be white. I know they do have, like a it's called Summit White Bronco, and it definitely looks similar to you know that particular Ford Bronco, but obviously the model's a little more modern. I love the way it looks. I wound up looking up Google Images of it last night, and I was like, I dig it. I'm, I'm more of a Chevy guy, but the Ford designs look pretty damn good, so make sure you enter in right now at broncoraffle.com. Or we're talking about Ford Broncos and stuff, I think we, the Astros need to call up Evil Knievel or the Fonz to figure out how they're going to jump the gap they have with Carlos Correa right now as they officially head into arbitration. That was James Click again talking about the negotiations with Carlos Correa falling well flat. Yesterday, Carlos Correa, the former number one pick, filed for $12.5 million to get paid in 2021 while the counteroffer for Houston was $9.75 million. That's about a $3 million gap. They somehow got a jump. I don't even think the Fonz could wind up pulling that jump off. 
This is the third straight year they're taking a player to arbitration, and the other two didn't work out all that well. George Springer, gone. Garrett Cole, gone. George Springer still doesn't have a team right now, which is really mind-blowing to me. But you wouldn't want a guy like that that has that kind of lead-off power. He's a rare breed, if you will. That being said, I think having him, the number one former number one pick, and having him, them strike out on this again, George Springer, of course, he was in, about to go in arbitration, but then... Once the whole sign ceiling scandal stuff came out and then we saw the coach and manager and GM get fired, the owner kind of stepped in and made sure George Springer got his just desserts and got paid. And Springer said, I'm going to peace out, hombre, and going ahead and taste the free agency market. And he's falling well short. I haven't seen him get signed to a deal yet at this point. But honestly, the 9.75 mil is pretty decent to me considering everything that's happened over the final couple of years of this current deal he's in. The massage injury, and I'm air quoting here inside the first South Farm Credit Studios. At the top of that list for me. I love Correa, but he's underwhelmed. He's underwhelmed last season. He had 264 batting average, five home runs, and 25 RBIs. That's an underwhelming season for a guy that was a number one pick just about a decade ago. He has fallen short of the mark. And at the end of the day, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of league. It's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of business in the world of sports, especially now with social media being prevalent. The chasm is a little bit too large, and I wouldn't be surprised if Correa joins another team after the season. And all that has to do with the position the Astros have put themselves in. I think we can all agree that they backed at the Brinks truck for Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, those those have aged well, and Joseph Verlander, which was at the time justifiable. JV, you know, eh, not so much now. It was justifiable at the time, but it d- didn't necessarily pay off all that well. He's just inadvertently and are likely going to be done playing baseball, in my mind. And it's just a little bit too much of a jump. Now, maybe next year they could have extra money to try and get Correa to stick around, but I feel like that's going to be an uphill climb if there ever was one. And that's if they don't try and re-sign Zach Grinke because he's scheduled to be a free agent next year, but that's going to cost you a pretty penny along with some other key cogs in that lineup, in that pitching rotation like Ryan Presley. There's a lot of guys you're going to have to try and like break off some money to keep them around because if you don't, I feel like this team could be going down downhill. They could be going very much downhill. And the last few years with the Strohs have been great, especially for someone who's been a longtime fan of them, especially because I was pretty much a fan of them since I knew what a baseball was. But it continues to feel like the walls are closing in and the window, that proverbial window we keep talking about, is closed right now in the so-called dynasty that only has won the World Series title that has since been tainted because of the sign-stealing scandal. But it's probably also infected the entire landscape of sports in the city of Houston. Go look at the city of Houston from 2017 to now. You will see four years, a four-year time frame that completely flips the script and you just don't even know where to begin. Go look back at it. 2017 Sports of Houston, things were good. The Astros won a World Series. The Texans were halfway decent. James Harden was about 50 pounds lighter. He looked good with the Houston Rockets. And this team was starting to kind of build things up. And the momentum was starting to build. And they could never get over the hump of beating the, the, the Lakers, the Warriors, all these stalwarts. They weren't able to ever get into the finals and trying to have a chance to win the Larry O'Brien Trophy. Now, three years and change later, the Texans are a shell of their former self. Deshaun Watson wants out of H-Town. James Harden just got traded to the Brooklyn Nets despite being given everything he wanted to try and succeed, but he can never get over that hump. 
And now the Astros are the same team after injuries, departures, a new coaching staff, everything in between. Now, yes, you could want to probably trying to call up the Twin Peaks hotline right now, 337-706-0111, and say, CD, you're crazy. Why are you talking about baseball in January? Well, because of the fact that Carlos Correa, he, he could very well be out of the door next year. And as a fan of the Astros, it's disappointing to see that. And hopefully things can change before too long because I'm sitting here just wondering what's going on with this team, what's going on with the future of this franchise because they gave up a lot of their farm system to get guys like Justin Verlander, to get guys like Zach Grinke. This highly touted farm system that's largely gone. You haven't been able to kind of restock the shelves, if you will. You haven't been able to kind of treat this like a grocery store and just restock with fresh and really good talent. And the fact that now it's like last year you only had five rounds to kind of work with. And next year, who knows what the draft's going to look like. You're going to be without another first round pick next year. The Astros are in a different place right now, and I'm hoping they can kind of get out of that chasm before long because I just have this like itching suspicion in my mind that they could be on the way out. They could be on the way out of being that overgroup because they can be just absolutely one of the best teams in the AL. And I think it's they're also helped because of the fact that now versus what we saw a few years ago, Whenever they joined the AOS, we had the Texas Rangers were actually good, which, my God, is a whole different conversation. You had, you had that going against you. You got a lot of other things that were kind of like other external forces in the AOS that were just a real pain in the you-know-what. You're playing in an AOS that, for the most part, is kind of trash. Yes, you got the Oakland A's to worry about, but guess what? You don't have to worry about the Seattle Mariners outside of maybe the first 10 games of the year. Because it feels like the Mariners are good for 10, 20 games, and then they fall off the face of the freaking earth. And we see that the Texas Rangers are the Texas Rangers. The Browns are the Browns. They, they're not that good. You've got the Los Angeles Angels, who have one of the best players in baseball, Mike Trout, but don't have a damn person else to kind of help them out. So I think at the end of the day, they're going to make out all right. They're going to be a consistent contender in the city of Houston. They're going to be a consistent contender of, for the AOS crown. That's if they can keep kind of refreshing the, the stock a little bit. Because Jordan Alvarez, you, you'll have him coming back. That's going to be a great positive for that team to have that kind of power, to have that DH spot in there. Now, how that works, I don't know. But I'm intrigued, to say the least, to see how that whole thing is going to go. I'm looking forward to seeing This is a lot of different storylines for 2021 in the world of MLB baseball that I'm interested in. But as the Astros one that has me the most concerned, obviously so, there's so much riding on next season. There's so much riding on that next opportunity to be in a big postseason run. Because you look at the Rays. The Rays basically had that one shot. They've basically get, got rid of everything. The Padres are trying to make that one big run to try and overtake the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think they have a chance to do so, and I think they, they could very well be a contender. But it's like you need to have more than just that one shining moment in 2017 and you almost had it in 2019 because then you could have had two World Series titles and only one of them would have been, relatively speaking, meaningless. But lo and behold, that did not happen. We saw this whole thing change, and the story is still saying, hey, you know, the Astros cheated, all that stuff. I'm not going to get into all that anymore. I'm going to go ahead and just 
punt that and consider that part of the 2020 like box of censored for radio and just leave that be in the past. All right, you saw the Dome with CD. We'll be back with more after this. Steve Lassen joined the program. Talk a little bit about the college football season that was. Is Coach O in the hot seat? And so much more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game. 103.7 The Game.com. Numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you and sacrifice. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Second and three, Jones is pressured, lobs it to Harris, who collects it, gets around Borland, and leaps to the end zone. Harris. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. And man, oh man, we got a lot to get to here on this Saturday afternoon. And I just saw this pop up with Chauncey Gardner Johnson got fined alongside Anthony Miller, Bears wide receiver, for their dust up. They ended up getting Miller ejected. Last night, can we just set up a GoFundMe for Chauncey Gardner Johnson? Talk about the more with Ross Jackson at twelve thirty. But right now, it's time to bring on a guest that I've had on in the past with this past college football season in the books, and the fact that my show now is from eleven to one versus what it used to be the ten a.m. to noon slot. It was a little bit tougher to try and get this guy on because of the fact that well, college football games start at eleven, and that is our guy Steve Lassen. Athlon Sports. We got him on the Twin Peaks hotline. It's been a long time, Steve. What's good, brother? Hey, Clint. It's great to be back on the show. It's good to talk to you. What a crazy college football season that we had. I have to admit, there was a sense of relief when that uh, that ball kicked off on Monday night in in, in Miami to get the national championship go- game going. So I- I'm looking forward to to catching up with you and seeing what what's been going on this year, man. It's been crazy. It's been absolutely crazy, and I think I think that is an understatement of the century. There, there, Steve. It's like you have <laughs> you have like this entire uh, college football world here in just in Louisiana alone, which we'll get to in a little bit. It's gone topsy turvy. You go from LSU being national champs five and now they're five and five in twenty twenty. The Cajuns, they just continue to be the best team in the entire state of Louisiana. And like we'll talk about again, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But you bring up the fact that a sense of relief whenever you saw the ball get kicked off in the national title game. How great did it feel to see the season actually reach the end of the line? Because it always felt like there was just something there was always just one thing you were waiting to see if that proverbial thing was going to drop. And if the season was going to come to a, like a screeching halt, absolutely. You know, my fears about getting through the season kind of increased every month. You know, once we got into November, once we got into the first part of December, and you kind of seen where um, things were in the country as far as dealing with the pandemic. I was getting worried. Um, I think it's a credit to the coaches and the players for every week going through the grind of testing getting through the protocols um, to, to give us the season that they did. They deserve a ton of credit. 
you know, my sense about the season was, you know, every week I, I kind of refer to it as the treadmill effect in, in football season. Most years you get on the treadmill in August and the, the, the thing just starts going. It goes at 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour. But this year it felt like it was going 100 miles an hour from August until January where we weren't sure if some games are going to be played, some conferences canceled their season, started again. It was just a massive sense of relief to get to Monday night, get the national championship game in because – you know, there were a lot of times this year I wasn't even sure we were going to make it to this point. So I'm glad that we did. And, you know, at the same time, it's funny to, to sit here and say it's how crazy it was. At the same time, it was pretty normal when you have Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame in the playoffs. Exactly. I mean, the only difference was that Notre Dame actually had a reputable re- resume because of the fact they were in the ACC. Right. Yeah, it was so. It was such a strange. You know, it's one of the things that kind of went, uh, you know, overlooked is that Notre Dame played a full season in the ACC, went undefeated, lost the, the conference championship game, and got beat by Alabama. But you know, for, for Notre Dame, they, they have you know been right around ten, eleven victories under Brian Kelly the last couple of years. But you know, this season also kind of underscored the divide in college football. Because you've seen where Alabama, you've seen where Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, all them are. Notre Dame's been really good, but also those other teams are just really, really, really good, and that's the challenge for for Notre Dame. And, and, you know, long-term for Notre Dame, actually being in the ACC would probably be easier for them week to week. They wouldn't have to go play USC. They wouldn't have to go, you know, play a game in Texas or whatever. So this season brought a lot of unique circumstances, and and certainly one we're not going to forget. It's all right now, Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. And this is more about that national title game. We saw the ratings dip significantly, going from 25 point, yeah, about 25.6 mil last year for LSU Clemson. That dipped down to 18.7 mil. Any reason why? You know, I've wondered this, too. I actually thought that the ratings would be good because you have Alabama and Ohio State. It was a matchup that had a lot of intrigue. It wasn't Alabama versus Clemson again, and it's just it's two big brands in college football. Um, you know, with the way that these two teams have won historically, they've never met in a national championship game until Monday night. You kind of thought that you know, with all the things going on in the season, that we get to the championship game, everyone would be watching. But that wasn't the case. You know, the the only thing I could think of is you know, I think ratings across the board seem to be down this year. And I think I kind of chalk it up to everyone's just kind of had an exhausting year. There's been a lot going on. I think that in, in terms of positioning, there's some thought that the, play, the national championship game should move off of Monday until a different day because you're looking at the NFL playoffs on Sunday. took up a lot of oxygen as far as promotion on TV. I, I think there's something to that. And I also think – there's a little bit of fatigue, um, Alabama always being there, Ohio State, Clemson. I do think there there's some problems that we're starting to see become magnified. So I chalk it up to some of it as it was 2020, it's part of this crazy year, but at the same time I think there's some issues starting to boil below the surface that are going to need to be addressed real soon. I'd agree with you on a lot of those fronts. I mean, obviously that, I think it's a lot of different things whenever you just look at the the entire epitome of it but at the same time you really got some good demo ratings in the amongst males according to show buzz daily 6.5 rating that's pretty damn good 
considering the fact you were up against a lot of different competition and just the main broadcast in and of itself, because obviously you got like four million different broadcasts. So I bring up the multiple broadcasts for a reason, Steve. You heard in the promo before we came back, Jim Rome was talking about the Nickelodeon simulcast for the NFL. Would you be down with something like that for college football? Absolutely. Why not? You know, I think we're in this space where if there is a concern about ratings fatigue, um, or, you know, ratings decrease, teams fatigue, if we can do anything to grow the sport by introducing it to new audiences, I think we should do it. And I think that's, you know, I think it's also a bigger argument for playoff expansion, too, is because I've kind of got into this, this sense of, it's not going to make the games necessarily more exciting. I just think if you have more teams in the mix, it might help the ratings and grow the sport overall. So I think we should. You know, I think college football has always been a very kind of regional, kind of conference supremacy you know, thing, the SEC, Big Ten and Pac-12 competing for the Rose Bowl. But I, I think anything we can do to try and enhance opportunities to grow the sport is a good thing because in the end that could mean more revenue, um, which helps all the teams and programs. So, so yeah, I'd be down for whatever we have to do. All right. Now, now let's get into some NFL-esque talk. Urban Meyer, now the coach of the Jags, what did you think about that, seeing him go from being a college, longtime college head coach to trying his hand in the NFL after a couple of years of retirement? It's fascinating. You know, I think for, for Jacksonville – you really have nothing to lose. You were one in fifteen last year um, as a franchise. They've been pretty mediocre um, in recent years. I, I think you know certainly when you look at Urban's track record, he's a winner at Utah, Bowling Green, Florida, Ohio State. There are the off-field kind of culture questions that have plagued him at every stop so far. That will be a big question uh, once again when he goes to the Jaguars. What type of culture does he bring as far as players? But, you know, I, I think it's, you know, on field, he's wanted every place he's been. He has this mentality of motivation and, and as far as being the big CEO uh, of the football team. There's no downside to me for Jacksonville. I think it's a smart move. I think it's worth trying. I don't think he's going to win a Super Bowl. But I also think that Urban is smart enough in a football sense to adapt and hire good assistant coaches. And so I think, I don't think it'll be a complete disaster for Jacksonville. And at the same time, I mean, I'm just, I'm just fascinated to see how it works. I am too. I think more importantly, it's going to be fascinating to see how he reacts to losing in the NFL. Because you know Urban Meyer, I mean, he's the tireless like coach who always wants to wind up winning ball games. And when he loses, he almost has an, an, an infarction, if you will. We talk about those heart issues, the brain issue he supposedly had at Ohio State. It's like, I'm interested to see how he reacts to losing a game in the NFL because he hates losing a game, let alone anything in the playoffs. No question about it. I mean, if you think about the last season for Urban Meyer at Ohio State, the, the, the visuals you have of him on the sidelines are him looking very distressed, very uncomfortable, um, looking like you know, like like you mentioned with the, the headaches and everything like that. He did not look very comfortable, and you do wonder about he gets in there for a couple years things don't go well, burnout, health issues pop up once again. It is a massive concern because you look at his track record at Ohio State, he might lose more games in one year with the Jaguars than he did throughout his tenure at Ohio State. And so he is such a kind of a, a competitive, ultra-competitive person that 
you start losing nine, ten games, and you're at a different level where you don't have a talent advantage, it's going to be a big-time uh, shift for him because he's used to having the best players in college football probably outside of Alabama. Now he's inheriting a team that was – one in fifteen, albeit you're starting with a pretty good quarterback uh, in Trevor Lawrence. But yeah, I mean, I think handling losing, handling the talent disadvantage, and just adapting to the NFL will be big time questions for him. So right now, Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports, and I think the next question we're gonna we're gonna get more local here, and I'm just gonna come right out and say it. After the five and five season LSU had, and everything else going on with the Title Nine investigation, and everything in between, it, is that Ogeron on the hot seat in your mind? I don't think so. I, I, I think 2021 will be pretty telling. Um, you know, I think it's, as someone pointed out to me, you know, the question I think that Orgeron has to answer is, was 2019 a kind of one-year success, or is there a program that he's built at LSU? I, I think LSU is going to be better next season. I just think there's too much talent. Um, there's no excuse for LSU to be giving up over seven yards of play and 30 points a game. I mean, there's just, you know, you look at what LSU has done on the recruiting trail for defense. Um, you know, we, we all expected to see some sort of drop-off, but just not to that level. So I think LSU just bounces back by default, and I, and I don't think he's on the hot seat yet. If they go 7-5 to five next year, maybe 8-4, and four, yeah, I think you start inching into that territory. But I think 2020 was such a weird year for every team, and I think seeing how some of the, the question marks on field and also the off field get answered uh, over the next couple months, I, I think this year will be pretty telling. Sorry, now Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. Let's, let's jump to the Cajuns. He's in the season in the top 15 on the final poll. I know you have him in the preseason, the way too early top 25 poll on AthlonSports.com. But what do you think is a ceiling in your mind for this team with everything coming back and you see guys like Latrell Bankson out of Iowa State going ahead and joining up with the Cajuns? You have a guy from Leesville who went up to Nebraska and then is coming back down to the boot. What is your expectations and the ceiling for the Saints and for the Cajuns, excuse me, in 2021? Yeah, I think for starters, you know, when I look at their schedule, they don't play Coastal Carolina in their regular season. It's a shame because I'd love to exactly. see their two play. Um, but hopefully we get that game in the conference championship. So the matchups against Texas and Liberty. Um, Liberty kind of a fringe preseason top 25 team. I think Texas will probably fall somewhere 20 to 30. If they can win those two games and run the table in conference play, um, Louisiana's got to be right there top you know, 15 or so competing with Cincinnati to be the top group of five team. Even if they lose to Texas and they finish with 11 wins, they're still a solid top 20 team. You know, we've got them in our preseason top 25 team, as you mentioned, and I think it's, you know, for a couple reasons. Proven quarterback, there's a, a pretty experienced depth chart on both sides of the ball, and Billy Napier's back. I mean, that was a huge win for this program uh, to keep him around. So I, I think solid top 25 team going into next year, and I think if they go win at Texas, win, win against Liberty, you're looking at maybe the, the top contender to Cincinnati uh, for the group of five spot in a, in a big-time bowl game. All right, chat me up on this. You brought up Coastal Carolina, and with the Cajuns, obviously, the Sumba Conference title game was canceled, and they were labeled as co-champions. What was your reaction when you saw that, and why didn't the Cajuns just be called champions? Since they didn't have COVID issues on their on their level, I mean, I don't know how high school football went over in your neck of the woods, but I don't know here if your team had COVID and they were ruled out, 
you know, it was a forfeit. Move on to the next round. That's how this should have been treated, and we don't see a co-champion mess. <laughs> you know, I think the easiest way to handle this is how, you know, UCF put the banner up for winning the national championship in, in what, 2018, 2017? Yeah. I mean, why not? Print the banners, print the flags, you know, call yourself champions. I mean, there's, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I, my, I was surprised that there wasn't an attempt to reschedule the game just because of how meaningful it was. And, and certainly this year was just crazy with cancellations and, and postponements and all that. But if, you know, if I'm one of these teams, man, I'm printing the, the conference championship shirts and, and banners as much as I can, and I'm claiming it this year. I, I know Napier is going to be doing the exact <laughs> opposite of that. Let's flip it over. You brought up Texas a little while ago. Sark taking over at Texas. What are your thoughts on him getting the gig? Because it, it felt like for a bit, Sarkeesian was probably just going to be more than comfortable being kind of the second, the right hand man to Nick Saban. And now we just look at it, it's like, okay, I'm interested to see how he does at Texas, especially considering the fact he's got some really solid guys like Terry Joseph out of Notre Dame. He's got him a flood being the offensive coordinator for that team. Obviously, he'd be more of an O line coach, more focused on that, while Sark, and I think it's safe to say Sark is going to be calling the plays, right? Yeah, absolutely. He's going to call the plays at Texas. Um, I, you know, I was surprised at how things played out for Texas this year when Tom Herman was let go in January. I, you know, there was a lot of friction between Herman and the AD and everyone there. But once you kind of got to that January timeline, you, you kind of thought that, be, that he would come back next year. But I, I think a couple things about Sarkeesian is, you know, he's been a head coach before, and of course he's had the off-field issues. It seems like he's in a much better place. He's been through the ringer um, at Alabama with Nick Saban. I think he's going to be able to take some of that to Texas. You know, Texas wasn't bad this year. I mean, they were really close to having just one loss. I mean, they lost to Iowa State at the end of the game, TCU, Oklahoma, in overtime. So they're not walking into a rebuilding project. And you look at some of the talent on the roster uh, B. John Robinson's one of the, the the kind of top running backs coming back next year. Casey Thompson, their quarterback, looked pretty good. I think the question is, we know that Sarkeesian is, is a great offensive mind. Texas as a program has a lot of cooks in the kitchen battling for the voice, battling for, um, you know, kind of to take control of the program. It's not just AD and president. It's people off the field. So he's going to have to navigate that. But I think if, if Texas just lets Sarkeesian coach, lets him manage the program, and he doesn't kind of bump heads with the AD like Herman did, I think he's going to be fine. National championship good, you know, that's where I kind of fall. I'm not really sure that he gets them to. But I think they'll be better under Sarkeesian. They weren't bad this year, but I think they'll be better uh, long-term under Sarkeesian. One more coaching question here, Stevie. Is this – blew my mind when I saw this happen with Tommy Bowden being the head coach of the ULM Warhawks, and then he brings in a man who I completely forgot about, Rich Rod, as the OC <laughs> at ULM. Did the Warhawks suddenly buy a DeLorean in the last few weeks and just go ahead and, and pull out like these old-school head coaches and say, hey, we're going to go ahead and throw throw all this money at him that we may, may or may not have in the not-too-distant future and you're going to go ahead and have these guys join? Like, what is the state of ULM with these two guys at the helm? It's going to be fun. I mean, I think if I'm, you know, Bowden, I'm recruiting all the kind of fired coaches, guys looking for jobs, you know, maybe even Bo Pelini can go it's like, there. It's I like mean, the replacements, in, uh, but coaching? Yeah, exactly. I mean, why not? I mean, you're, you're a place like ULM that has struggled to find success at the FBS level. 
Terry Bowden, you know, he did have some success um, at Akron, a very difficult job. It's, it's just a different kind of, you know, I, there's no downside to taking the gamble on someone like Rich Rod. He's put together good offenses. So I think, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those teams that they're not going to be on the national radar like Alabama is and all that next year. But, man, I am just fascinated just to see how this works because Rich Rod is, is a fun character. You know, Bowden, of course, is, has been around. So, um, yeah, just give me all the old, you know, older coaches that are looking for jobs at ULM next year. Steve, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road once we get closer to FBS football. Because, obviously, isn't that isn't this great that, yes, I mean, college football, in terms of what you and I are going to wind up watching FBS football, that's done. But FCS football is right around the corner. It feels like we're, we're, we're getting back to some form of normalcy, and it feels almost like I've, I'd say FCS should just stick to playing like spring football because, again, I love spring football. It's like you have the Super Bowl. It's the end of the season. It's like, oh, man, we're, we're not playing football anymore. But the FCS is back, and I would love to see that Reed Jensen game. Yeah, I you know I, I'm actually interested in FCS too because you know you know I, I, I it's hard for me to pay attention to the, the level of FCS when the season's going on, but now that it's in the spring, I'll probably watch more games than, than usual. So, I, I mean, I, I'm ready for spring practice. I'm ready for normalcy, but at the same time, you can bet I'm going to be turn, tuning into some FCS games this year uh, once the Super Bowl gets finished. All right, thank you so much, Steve, for coming on, man. Man, we'll talk to you down the road. Hey, sounds great, Clint. Take it easy. Talk to you. All right, that was Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. We're going to take a quick timeout, wrap up hour number one in style. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. The Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break up. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Real quick, final segment of our number one. Ross Jackson joined the program at around 1230. But we're going to talk about what's going on with the Cajuns. I mentioned some of the stuff with the Cajuns. They got Latrell Bankson at Iowa State coming over. One such player for the Cajuns on the linebacking front. Joe Dillon entered the transfer portal. Some reports came out yesterday. I was waiting to see if Joe Dillon was going to say anything. A little bold. I wound up looking at his Twitter yes this morning for the show, and he retweeted some of the stuff I saw. So at least we got that, and it makes sense considering the fact you got so many guys coming back. Fraud Gardner's the biggest name that comes to mind. So you have that all that going on. I think it absolutely makes sense. But I got that's about all I got for hour number one. Hour number two coming up in just a little bit. We're gonna make the, I'm going to make my picks, the NFL divisional round of the playoffs, and so much more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! It's time! It's time! And time to 
take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And welcome everybody to hour number two of two. On Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game. 103.7 The Game.com as always. We are coming to you live from the surf, for the first South Farm Credit Studios. Hopefully you have a great one so far and you make it a tremendous Saturday afternoon. We're getting that much closer to the NFL Divisional Round of the Playoffs. First games will start around 3 o'clock. All the coverage will start around 1.30 because we've got a little NFL Insider, NFL Preview, all that great stuff going on with the sport of professional football. We'll get to that in a little bit. Ross Jackson joined the program at 1230. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing, so be it through the old school FM dial, 103.7 on the FM side of things, 103.7thegame.com, the free mobile app for iPhone and Android. So many different ways to check us out. Make sure you go do so. But let me say this before we kind of get any further. Is hey, you know, like the SmackDown, the former SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Street Profits, 1037 the game brings the swag like nobody can. And if you feel like, like turning your swag levels up to where we're at, just go to our clubhouse at 1037thegame.com to redeem 100 points. It's just 100 points to score free merch like official 1037 the game t shirts and even face masks. It's 2021. We all need a mask up, so make sure you go over there. You want the smoke? Come join the clubhouse for free today at 1037thegame.com. It's free to enter, free to join. If you're not part of it already, what in the world are you waiting for? Now we're going to get to some stuff that I think maybe more are one to talk about. And that's what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning. And the Twin Peaks hotline, it is open, my friends, till about 1130, till 1230, excuse me, 1130, I don't know what, what coast it would be. Twelve thirty, Ross Jackson joins the program. Call me up right now if you want to talk about the New Orleans Saints because I've got plenty of time to do so. But in the meantime, in the between time, I got some other stuff I want to kind of look at, and one of those is the Cajuns on the basketball court last night lost a tough one, ninety-one eighty-six to UTR Arlington, losing their second straight ball game. And it was all about UTR Arlington getting it done late from three-point range. Shahada Wells was the big performer for the Mavs. Put up 31, a career high for him. He was absolutely dominant. But it was Jordan Phillips who was just all over the place. Came off the bench, sank 11 threes, and went 20. The team went had 11 threes down the stretch, 24-20 for the free throw line. Nothing short of impressive to winning the third straight contest. And UT Arlington starting to kind of build things up. Seven and six on the year, three and two in the Sun Belt Conference. Now the Cajuns, they're getting towards that bottom level after the way they started off the season. It was impressive to see what happened last night between the Cajuns and the Mavs. In fact, when I woke up this morning, I saw that UT actually made Sports Center's top plays. When I woke up this morning, that was like the first one of the first things I saw. And that was, that was interesting. I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And it was just a very much a back-and-forth type of ball game. It feels like the Cajuns are going to continue to have those kind of contests. But I'm going to be interested to see how this matchup tonight, tip-off at 4, or should I say this afternoon, it's a late afternoon, early evening ball game, 
I'm interested to see how that's going to go. It'll be their second game away from home. And the fact that, you know, I was listening to footnotes the other day and I heard Mike Murphy mention the fact that the apparently, according to what he's noticed, it's like the road team usually takes the second game. These things have usually been very much a lot like WWE booking, 50-50, where, where nobody ever really comes out ahead in these things. UT Arlington has been a real pain for the Cages in recent years, but I feel like they are on a rebuild. I talked about that with my guy Greg Peterson towards the beginning of the year. I felt like they were on a rebuild, and they're kind of making steps in the right direction. So I think that was just a heartbreaker for the Cajuns, losing late 91-86. A lot like how they lost late in the ball game last weekend on last Saturday. I'm trying to remember what the score was, but overtime against Little Rock after that wild finish last night. My God, last week's game, last Friday's game even got some love from John Boy, which was a mind blow to me, but it was kind of cool to see that. Then we also saw the Falcons getting a new head coach, relatively speaking on the cheap, but I was surprised at that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I think there were some better candidates, at least in my mind. You have the Falcons hiring Arthur Smith, Longtime Titans offensive coordinator has a hell of a resume, but it's crazy to think that you know. Again, we're we're starting to wrap up the the head coaching hires. We talked about Urban Meyer a little bit earlier with our guy Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports, because obviously Urban Meyer more known for his um, stuff in college. Be interesting how he fares in the NFL with all the stuff that he's got going for him. I think he's in a great position to have success, but I think he's got a. There just needs to be a realization that it's probably year two or year three when you really want to become on another level. Because I feel like he's going to struggle his first year, especially in the AFC, that as we've noticed, is pretty damn top-heavy. It's pretty damn strong this year more than any other. Shows what what difference about not having Tom Brady in the league makes to where you have almost the entire AFC North all in the playoffs. It really speaks to how the NFC is kind of, for the most part, top-heavy. I mean, you had the Bears. And the NFC East is just a joke and should be relegated to hell or sent off to the XFL. We wind up getting a few teams from there to jump over. I mean, that should be the thing with the XFL. Just be a, like, a D-League, if you will, for the NFL, a development league. That way you can have like promotion and relegation. Because I still think that's a great idea. But they got Arthur Smith, offensive coordinator for the Titans. I like the fact that they got him. But it's interesting that we still haven't seen anything about Eric Bieniemy taking a job. Now obviously you got to wait till after the season's all said and done. But it's it's crazy to think that we still don't see a guy like Eric Bieniemy get a job. Hopefully we see that happen. I, I I really feel like this is the year with the fact that you fired a lot of different coaches left, right and sideways. I mean the Lions are leaning towards Dan Campbell, Saints tight ends coach. I think that's a great get if you can have him. But I think Eric Bieniemy may be the most like deserved guy for a job. And I think he absolutely could be a head coach with the Texans. I think he's a guy that they should at least consider. But knowing how this franchise has been keeping Jack Easterby, I haven't heard like an, like all the vitriol. Because thankfully I have friends out in the Houston area who love the Texans and cover the Texans and, and know that a lot more than I do, that franchise is a bleep hole. And the way they handled the whole thing 
holding with Deshaun Watson and having him at least somewhat be in the conversation about who's going to be the next like, head coach and GM over there, that was handled absolutely piss poor. And hopefully they can get a right guy to fill that role and then maybe you can trade Deshaun and get something good out of it down the road. Hopefully that's the case. But boy, oh boy, I just I don't like the chances of all that happening. Because again, I mean, you don't have you know the Houston Rockets general manager in the front office saying, "Hey, like, let's go ahead and just give him what he wants because he's crying and complaining enough, and he's fat." So let's just get rid of the malcontent that is James Harden. I don't necessarily see that happening for the for the Texans. I think they're gonna have, they're gonna keep him around until it's clear that they just that Deshaun Watson does not care and he wants out. I hope that we can see this franchise at least keep him happy because it's all about keeping people happy. I think he's a guy that you should be trying to keep happy because he could be a hell of a franchise quarterback. We've seen him look good. I mean, you know, they had a chance to beat the Kansas City Chiefs last year, but he decided to make Bill O'Brien the GM and the manager and have him get rid of DeAndre Hopkins for a freaking washing machine. It's it's upsetting to me to see that go down. But going back to Eric, to Eric Bieniemy, he should be a head coach in the NFL, and I I think he absolutely deserves a lot more run than maybe he's getting. And again, I understand the way it is in the NFL, the rules and all that stuff. You got to wait till the end of the season, all that stuff. I get it, but I really hope we get to see him have a head coaching job down the road because he's absolutely. I'd say a hell of a lot more deserving than some of the guys that have gotten them. Not saying anything against him, but Robert Sala out of him, uh, New York, and now he's the Jets DC after uh, Jets HC after spending some time as the DC for the San Francisco 49ers. So I'm, I think that's a really good hire too, actually, because I think Sala is one of those young guys, and he feels I think he's got a lot more going on up in his head than Adam Gase, and that's not saying much because Adam Gase, we talk about winning or losing the press conference and earlier this week we were introduced to the OC and the passing game coordinator for LSU I think it's safe to say for the most part they won the press conference what Adam Gase did a couple of years ago absolutely was the definition of losing the press conference over in New York the media hub of the world you you screw that up good luck finding another job pal I think it's it's curtains for Adam Gase to be honest with you in the NFL, I feel like maybe college football too. I feel like he's going to have to do a lot of like image rehabilitation. I like what we talk about with Sark going over to Alabama. I hope they can kind of fix this entire situation with with what's going on with the head coaching positions, the head coaching vacancies that are left. I think the Texans are left and the Chargers are left. And I love how Joe Brady was popping up a lot of head coaching talks after one year as an O.C., I still think he needs a little more time, but I think whoever gets him is going to get a, a really good offensive-minded head coach that knows how to get the most out of the their respective quarterbacks. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be a great future head coach of an NFL team. I think he's going to be somewhere along the lines of, I'd say Cliff Kingsbury-esque, because he's, and, and you know, Sean McVay. Both these guys have so much potential, but I think it's the fact that you are saddled, in the case of the Rams, with mediocrity in Jared Goff. Jared Goff is not that good of a quarterback. He's, sli- I think he's slightly overrated because of the fact that he is just absolutely 
crapped the bed in a lot of different situations since that Super Bowl game. The Super Bowl game, that one year he was able to turn this whole thing around, we haven't seen much of that Jared Goff since. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that you don't have Todd Gurley anymore. You don't really truly have a run game. And there's a lot of inconsistency. There's a lot of inconsistency with this team. And I feel like that's where the issues with Sean McVay are. Cliff Kingsbury, he's got a young team, and he's going to wind up probably being without Larry Fitzgerald because Larry's finally going to hang it up after being in the league for 30 years. I think you have to now figure out what your identity is with New Hopkins and figure out how to become a different type of team with everything going on. I am hopeful. I am hopeful we see things get better for that team. But I feel like Joe Brady is a lot like a Cliff Kingsbury-esque young guy offensive-minded, and can wind up changing the game for some team that does fire their coach in the not-too-distant future. I, In my mind, I think maybe Philadelphia. If they fired their head coach, Doug Peterson. I think if they want to get somebody who's more offensive-minded, a Joe Brady, Eric Bieniemy, are your two guys you need to call up. I think those are your two guys off the top of my head. Those are the ones you take. Now what happens next with those guys is anybody's guess, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this entire like head coaching carousel wraps up and I'm hoping we see either Joe Brady or Eric Bieniemy take over a gig somewhere in the NFL as a head coach. Because I think they both deserve it. All right, it's under the dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game. The Twin Peaks hotline is open. 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. We'll be back after this on Acadia Sports Station. 103.7 The Game. 103.7 The Game.com. Going to get to my picks for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs next Under the Dome with CD is far from your ordinary sports talk show. I am the voice of the voiceless. What other show has more pop culture references than an episode of Family Guy? I just don't want to be involved in any of that mess. Now back to the famous CD on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. Welcome back. Getting that much closer to the start of the NFL Divisional Playoffs. And it all begins with the Los Angeles Rams squaring off with the Green Bay Packers at 335. And you'll hear all the action right here, courtesy of Westwood One right here. On Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Absolutely love that voice, by the way. That is probably one of my favorite voices in terms of all sports imaging. Don't get me wrong. Our, our voice guy, Rob, absolutely crushes it. But that voice is on another level. And it's the fact, it's, a, it's not even like a put-on voice. That's actually how the cat talks. On Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. It's just a badass. It's like it's a booming voice. It's a dude that just sounds like he smoked about like 30, men, uh, 30 different like um, uh, cigarettes before going in and recording all this stuff. And it's just... It's, I, I've never really played it before, but it's always just great to hear that when I put together the promos for the divisional playoffs and everything in between. And Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. It's always good. It's always good. But you know what else is always good? Talking about what's going on in the sport of the NFL. And give my picks, which last week, oh boy, I don't even want to talk about those. 
but I'll go ahead and get to my picks for this week. In the league where they play. For pay. Oh, you love the music. You love the music. We start things off with the Los Angeles Rams traveling up to the frigid and the absolutely snowy city of Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah, we're talking about those Green Bay Packers. Packers currently seven-point favorites. I mentioned earlier, I do not trust Jared Goff as far as I can throw the cat, which ain't that far. So give me the Green Bay Packers winning this ballgame. But I do think the Rams do cover that seven-point spread. I think the Rams lose, but cover. Green Bay gets the win, moves on to the NFC title game, and a hosting inside the legendary Lambeau Field, whoever the, whoever comes out of the Tampa Bay-New Orleans game, which we'll get to in a little bit. Then we get to probably the most intriguing matchup, without a doubt, Ravens at Bills. Currently, Bills two-and-a-half-point favorites in this prime time contest. I got to go with the Baltimore Ravens winning this one. I mentioned on Pumper to Pumper Sports. Give me the Ravens getting the win in overtime, a field goal to seal the deal and get the win and get it done. So, yeah, for me, that's going to be where it goes when all comes down to it. So, again, I got to go with the Ravens pulling off the upset over the Buffalo Bills, as much as it pains me to say, because I feel like there's a chance where things could be like turning around and the, and the Bills wind up somehow, some way winning, and then they travel up to possibly Kansas City and playing an AFC title game, and we see maybe tables get burnt to the burnt to a crisp. I'd love to see it, but I just feel like it's going to be the Ravens getting the win here in a very tight ball game. Then we get to the first game on tomorrow's docket, the Cleveland Browns taking on those Kansas City Chiefs. Pat Mahomes and crew minus 10. That means the 10-point favorites in this contest. I saw someone bring this up on Facebook yesterday. It's the Progressive versus State Farm Bowl when Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes square off on Sunday. And for me, I gladly take Mahomes and his crew winning this one. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I just feel like the Browns, last week, they had their one shining moment. This was their Super Bowl, beating the Steelers in the wild card game. And the way they did, a lot of it was comedy of errors-esque. You had the all the turnovers. Like, if not for those like turnovers and stuff, they wouldn't have won 20. They wouldn't have been up 28-0 in the first quarter. I think it would have been a lot closer, maybe 14-7. There was just so much going wrong for the Steelers. It helped with the Browns. But I think the Browns are going to be Brownsing, and they won't make it to the AFC title game. I hate to say it because I would love to see this run keep going. But we see Pat Mahomes like a good neighbor. He is right there and connecting with Travis Kelsey and crew, making sure Clyde edwards Lair eats, and he's there and making his way to the AFC title game. Meanwhile, Baker Mayfield um, spends his postseason at home with Baker Mayfield. Then we get to the main event. Everybody's looking forward to it, and justifiably so. Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Saints currently three-point favorites in the contest. I mentioned earlier, I think that spread is just right because I think that Tampa Bay is on another level compared to what we saw with the Saints, Bucks in both the regular season contests. Week one, 
it was a new era and a new kind of way of looking at things if you're talking about Tom Brady and the era of the Bucks. That was a very much an anomaly of a ball game for him. Then we see the Sunday night football matchup. The first game with Antonio Brown. He wasn't necessarily that big of a factor. Tom Brady had one of his worst games of his career. His career, week nine. But I think the momentum, the tide does turn. And it winds up being a way more competitive ball game from bell to bell. I think we see the Saints do come out on top, though. Will Lutz becomes Mighty Mouse and saves the day with a late field goal. And I think we also see a late defensive stop, a turnover somewhere along those lines, and the crystal ball that the famous CD has inside the first South Farm Credit Studios says that they're going to win this one. 27-24, New Orleans goes on to play in Frigid Lambeau Field, which is located in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And they play Mr. Rogers. Rogers. Can't wait for that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm just going to say it right now. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I think we see the Green Bay Packers and the Saints square off. Chiefs, Ravens. We finally get to see that as a main event AFC title game. When last year, it felt like that was going to be the predestined thing. Global, the Titans had to go ahead and, and put a put a fork in that. Put a pin in that thing. And we saw a really fun matchup between the Chiefs and the Titans. Which, to be honest with you, was way more fun. And I, I was talking with Ben about this yesterday on the show. That honestly, I don't think that the... I'll say it right now, I don't see the Chiefs like going down big early. I think they're going to go up early and never let up. They're not going to let up against a team like that. They don't want to have that conversation of being like, hey, we suck again. I think this team is absolutely going to be on another level tomorrow afternoon. All right, it's another Dome with CD. When we come back, Ross Jackson joined the Joins the program next, talking about what's going on with the Saints heading into the matchup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll talk about that and more right here on 103.7 The Game on 103.7thegame.com. Even in these trying times, the world-famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. It's easy to say, hey, get 30 rushing attempts, and the important equation to getting the 30 rushing attempts is converting on third down and you know and in, in having those opportunities i'll give you a real good example would be kansas city we really struggled to stay on the field offensively and when the game ended i think we defended 90 some plays defensively offensively you know probably around half of that welcome back to under the dome with cd right here on acadiana sports station 1037 the game and 1037 game.com coming to you live from the first First, South Farm Credit Studios. And now we're going to get into what's causing all this on Louisiana Saturday morning with our guy Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints, Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, what is going on, my brother? Hey, brother. Doing well, man. Always glad to be here with you. Hope you're doing well. 
I'm doing really well, man, to be honest with you. Let's start things off with what happened with the Saints-Bears game last week. But more importantly, get down to brass tacks. How did you like this Nickelodeon simulcast? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. I thought they did a really good job breaking down the game. Uh, Nate Burleson and Noah Eagle did a great job. Gabrielle Green in the booth was awesome, too, sort of providing the in for the kids that maybe didn't know a little bit about football. So she was there to ask questions that they might have been wondering, but of course couldn't ask because they were watching. I thought uh, Lex Lumpkin was a lot of fun over on the sideline as well. I I thought the team did a really good job, and I thought that all the things they did to make it kid-friendly, in terms of the graphics, color, things like that, none of it was really an impediment on the game as a viewer at all. So I I thought it was a nice thing to add, and I thought it was pretty effective. All right, so what you're saying is, did you like or dislike the young Sheldon pop-ins? Um, look, okay, let me be real. Uh, <laughs> um, Big Bang Theory is like one of my least favorite TV shows out of the TV shows that are out there that are very popular. I- I'm not a big fan of it. And so because of that, I've never really been a big fan of, of Young Sheldon either. And so maybe those pop-ins were maybe the, the one thing that I would say, let's do without next time. <laughs> also, um, uh, let's, let's try and um, uh, make sure to get the F-bomb when it goes out over the air, right? Yeah, I was a little surprised that they didn't dump that. There was clearly a delay well, I mean, between the Nickelodeon and the CBS feeds, but I guess the guy that they hired to do the dumping just clearly uh, wasn't on top of their game, uh, I guess I'll say. But, yeah, probably want to not air that out to you know a few million children. <laughs> or or hypothetically, Ross, just just go with me. Instead of dumping it, you could have played over with the with a dolphin soundbite oh, from, from Sailor dolphin. Mouth. <laughs> the dolphin sound effect would have been so good. That would have been so good. Like, it would have been oh, even really more hilarious for that. like for like us, you know. And I think that was the best part right. about the broadcast. And, and yes, it was obviously geared towards kids, and it wound up getting really good numbers to say the least. Mm-hmm. But like us adults who were watching it, and hypothetically adults with kids. I mean, I, I don't have kids. You don't have kids, so it's like we're sitting here watching right. this game, and it's like they were making references to stuff that we watched as kids. So it's like it it related to all right. of us. That was the best yeah, part. Yeah, they did a really good job understanding that the viewership was going to be people that grew up on Nickelodeon that are watching now and kids that are currently growing up on Nickelodeon. So I thought that was one of the things that was really great just in terms of their ability. And, you know, Nickelodeon has done this. Disney does this really well. They all do this very well. They understand that their audience is a wide swath in certain elements, and this is certainly one of them. And they did a good job playing to both of those audiences. Talking now, Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. Let's look at the big news that came out last night. Will Clapp testing positive for COVID-19. Obviously, he's more of the backup center slash guard. And I know, obviously, there's no other positive tests that have popped up, so it looks like everything is like back is still on track at this point in time. But what's your level of concern with Will Clapp testing positive and what that means for this offensive line? Um, I, you know, I think that it, it raises a little bit of concern just because you know that Will Clapp knows this offense very well. And so should he have to go in or, or should one of those other guards come out, then there was an opportunity to be able to plug him in, especially knowing that Nick Easton is also an injured reserve and is basically done for uh, the rest of the playoffs. So I think that, you know, it, it knocks down your numbers a little bit. But, you know, you still have James Hurst who can play inside and out. You still got guys like Derek Kelly who can do the same thing. And so, there's still good depth there. The Saints have put a really big focus on offensive line depth, uh, both in the interior and on the outside, and guys that can kind of do both. So I think that they're in an okay position despite losing him, but obviously having him is better than not. Um, even down to the fact that if, you know, it's not even just the starting five guys, if something were to happen to James Hurst, let's say, 
Will Clapp would go in and be that sixth offensive lineman because they use six offensive linemen so often. So even down to that point, he still is, you know, still has an effect not being in the game. But I think they'll be okay working around it. But above all else, we hope that he's healthy. And obviously, there were no um, high risk close contacts at this time. So the larger concern, the larger risk of spread doesn't seem to be present at this time. Thankfully, I think that's the big thing. I was blown away by the fact that like, apparently there was no high-risk contacts. I was like, what's going on there? But let's flip it on over to the defensive side of the football and the battle in the trenches there. Trey Henderson <laughs> is back after that neck injury. It feels like more likely than not he is going to be playing. And considering the fact that he had an absolutely phenomenal game against the Bucks back in Week 9, how big is that for the Saints? Yeah, it's big. I mean, even just from the mental standpoint of a guy like Donovan Smith, who has classically struggled against the Saints and has certainly struggled against Donovan, uh, struggled against Trey Hendrickson. You remember after week one, Donovan Smith was the guy that Bruce Arians called out that he had the easiest guy to block. And that easiest guy to block went on to have 13 and a half tackles on the season. And so, uh, you know, I think that, you know, even from the mental side of preparedness, that's, that's a big deal for Tampa Bay and a big benefit for New Orleans. It also helps them in terms of their defensive line play as, you know, a team that loves to run twists, a team that loves to run stunts and wraps, things like that. Uh, you get to start an offensive line off balance knowing that they have to, they have to be prepared for Trey Hendrickson, which is such a funny thing. I didn't think I would be saying this in the playoffs at the beginning of the season, but he's a huge part of what the Saints defensive line has been able to do so far this season with 45 sacks in the regular season and him, of course, with 13 and a half. I'm talking right now, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And another big thing I think we can definitely talk about is Chauncey Gardner-Johnson getting fined $15,000. I think we should all get a GoFundMe campaign going for him because apparently, like, I saw this, you brought, you quote tweeted it earlier. What is it, like $38,000 he's gotten fined so far this year? Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's a little bit over thirty five. It's wild to me, and and it makes sense. Like I know a lot of people are reacting to the fact that he was fined fifteen thousand dollars for talking, while Anthony Miller was fined about eight thousand dollars and ejected for punching. Uh, which don't seem to equate with one another. Doesn't I think it might be maybe consider. maybe doubling up because of the. They might be like basically saying, "Hey, you know that whole Javon Wims thing. We're gonna we're gonna hit you for that too. Why not?" Right, yeah, like it, it's an escalation thing, right? It, it's yep. the fact that this is his third or fourth fine on the season, and so like you, you have to escalate the punishment, otherwise there's no incentive. Like if you're going to fine him the same amount every season, then you know every time, then he's going to be fine just like paying it and then paying it and running off, or whoever is paying it for him, uh, which I think is also a possibility. But yeah, I, I, you know that that's the one thing that I look at is that you know there's only one common denominator in all of these CJGJ situations, and it's CJ Gardner-Johnson, of course. Exactly, and I think the big question is, heading into this game on Sunday, who do you think he gets matched up against more here in this contest? Because obviously I think you're going to have Marshawn Lattimore on Mike Evans because you need to. It's just a tradition unlike any other, but where do you see him matching up against? Yeah, probably more likely um, uh, Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin lines up about 61% of the time in the slot. Um, and we've seen Antonio Brown, who also lines up in the slot, but he's only been there around 21, 25% of the time. So I think that just by the numbers, he'll probably match up a little bit more often with CJ Gardner, excuse me, with Chris Godwin in the slot. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been playing a lot of 12 personnel as well over the last couple of seasons. So 12 personnel, one running back and two tight ends. So he might find himself in those matchups with tight ends as well, which could actually work to his and the Saints benefit because if he's lined up man-to-man and in a man-to-man situation with a tight end, the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks have been using six blockers 
pretty often over these last few games as well to help keep Tom Brady um, not pressured. And so that would open up some opportunities for him to be able to blitz if that tight end stays back to block. Talking now, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. He's on the Twin Peaks hotline. And I think, obviously, one other thing that I've just been thinking about with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, and you brought up A.B., can he get in his head? Because I think that's what we all are waiting for, to see if that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's been that's been kind of my, my uh, I don't want to call him a target, but you know what I mean? Like, when it comes down to, hey, who is the guy that C.J. Gardner-Johnson can possibly, like you mentioned, get in their head? Uh, Antonio Brown is definitely one that stands out. I know a lot of people say Tom Brady. I just don't know how much drawing he's going to have an opportunity to do. But we did see him and Tom Brady kind of get into a spat in the Week 9 game, I believe. I think uh, Maddie Hudak shared that over on Twitter. She's a contributor for Canal Street Chronicles as well. And so you have all of those, that, that sort of back and forth. But another guy that I would watch out for, especially if, if CJ's doing a lot of blitzing in this game, is Ryan Jensen, the center, who burns hot. I mean, he burns very hot. He has a temper. He's usually one of those guys that's always pushing and shoving after plays. And so if CJ Gardner-Johnson finds himself in the backfield and maybe can toss a couple of things in Jensen's way, I could see Jensen maybe getting, getting baited into something as well. What's the biggest key to victory for the Saints, Ross? Uh, for me, I mean, there's, there's, everybody knows that getting pressure on Tom Brady is huge. It drops him from a 102.2 passer rating to around a 54 passer rating, 55 passer rating. But on top of that, you also have to be opportunistic on defense. If you're getting pressure with the front four specifically, and particularly in the interiors where you're getting that immediate pressure, especially with Alex Kappa being out, then that's going to allow you to drop those linebackers back in coverage like they did in week, week nine, which forces Tom Brady not only to speed up his clock, but also put more air under the ball than he wants to because they'll take away some of those throwing lanes in the, in the hole. And so that will allow the Saints to be able to potentially make some plays on the ball because Tom Brady can still air the ball out. There's no doubt about that. But his ball velocity and ball speed have been suffering, and they should be able to take advantage of that. Look at a guy like Marcus Williams. He has two interceptions against him all the season. I'd agree with you wholeheartedly there. I think it's absolutely going to be the pass rush is going to be the key. In fact, we put out a poll question a few days ago, and I was like immediately saying, yeah, this is where this whole thing is going to go. And add the fact that you have, we mentioned earlier, Trey Hendrickson being back changes things right. entirely. Because I think without him, that pass rush wouldn't be as lethal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it becomes a little bit less of a concern. There's an ability for Tampa Bay's offensive line mentally to relax a little bit, knowing that the sack leader for the Saints by a mile is not in the game. Or not by a mile. I mean, um, you know, by, by the majority um, it, it isn't in the game. And so now you have a little bit more concern along that offensive line. You have... Ali Marpet, who's dealing with a pectoral injury, even though he practiced in full on Friday. You have Trey Hendrickson back. You have Alex Kappa missing. And then Eric Aaron Stinney, who's only played about 50 offensive snaps in his career, standing in his, standing in his place at the right guard position. So it just compounds the concern and the matchup for Tampa Bay, which I think on the mental side of the game works really well and in favor of New Orleans. You expect to see him uh, taste the middle of this game tomorrow? Yeah, interesting stuff. Like, I mean, he, he had the knee injury early on in the Chicago game and he was able to finish it out on the fine, but how much of that was adrenaline versus the, the lack of, you know, presence of the injury? He's questionable, didn't practice on Wednesday or Thursday. He was upgraded to limited on Friday. So I think that, you know, if he's feeling well enough, he'll certainly want to get out there. He's one of the toughest guys on the team. He's going to want to be out there and certainly Sean Payton's going to want him out there. Uh, but I'll be curious to see exactly how they handle that because obviously, his health is important for the long run within this uh, within this, this this playoff run here, and so it'll be interesting to see if he is used and if so how he's used. I do I I feel like he'll be there, 
um, purely off of like personal feeling, but um, you know we'll, we'll have to see exactly how he's looking coming up to uh, game time. Unrelated to the Saints, but I saw something before the show while I was kind of prepping things out. I saw something about Mark Ingram. He's going to be pulling out of the Ravens game due to business reasons, and more yeah. importantly, with and obviously I've uh, seen something about like what the article said basically was saying like more likely than not he's on his way out. How surprised you that he is on his way out because it felt like he was going to be an integral part of this franchise, but lo and behold, you had a guy like J.K. Dobbins, who you managed to pick up out the draft, and he's been a lot like the Alvin Kamara type to really make this defense, make this offense go. Yeah, I mean, I think that yeah, I, I sort of, it's tough. I mean, when he made the decision to go to Baltimore, I think that there was maybe some expectation that, okay, he's got a few years in the lead back there, and then he'll probably hit the market again, but I didn't expect it to happen this quickly. I kind of got an inkling that it might once they drafted J.K. Dobbins. And then early on in the season, you saw J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, and Gus Edwards all being very effective in the run game, while also, of course, having Lamar Jackson on that team. And so you can kind of see it all playing to fruition when it came to Mark Ingram and, and sort of what was written on the wall as the late part of the latter part of the season really continued to develop on. But I agree with Nick Underhill that, you know, one and a half million dollars, is that really that much money to make that decision based upon? That seems a little strange to me. It seems like the more likely situation would be that you, you're willing to eat that one and a half million dollars to have one of your best players on the field. And so if he's not on the field and if one and a half million dollars is there, then obviously they don't view him in Baltimore with that level of importance. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him uh, in free agency because I would 100% at this point expect him to hit free agency, but where he lands next will be really interesting to watch. All right, Ross, you know how we do this. We always like to end, the sh- end this segment on a really just fun note. And I want I got a couple questions <laughs> to throw your way. First off, were you more of a Nickelodeon or a Cartoon Network kid growing up? Uh, more Cartoon Network. Right, 100%, 100%, 100% there. Yeah. All right, the other question is, Top five Nickelodeon shows. It can be game show, live action, whatever. Throw it out there. Okay, uh, so probably for me, um, all that is at the top. I loved all that. Uh, I was a huge variety show kid. I loved them. Mad TV, Saturday Night Live. I even watched The Laugh-In when I was really young, too. Um, and then, of course, all that. So all that goes in there. Um, Keenan and Kel is a really easy one to throw in there. Uh, Fairly Odd Parents probably would be in there too um loved are you afraid of the dark and then be number five kind of oh oh i have to throw legends of the hidden temple in there too oh and that one's definitely in my top 10 for i, yeah. I put this out on twitter but i, I want to kind of double back to that you brought up all that now now comes the real question mad tv or snl oh mad tv oh thank mad you TV. thank you easily thank you easily Look at look at what all those guys like. Look at what everybody on Mad TV went on to do, right? Like Will Sasso, Alex Borstein, Phil Lamar, like all of them went on to just continue to do stuff. Uh, I should have thrown out In Living Color as well when it came. Oh yeah, to Ryan, In Living so, Color but, was was damn good, and that that that, that, that had some big stars too. <laughs> Don't forget about that. I mean, I mean Jim right. Carrey, J Lo, like hello. I was gonna say yeah, hell Jennifer Lopez, one of the Fly Girls came out. Like, how, like, <laughs> who would have thought like one of the Fly Girls would become like one of the like power people of all time and is married to A Rod like. Never would have yeah. saw that coming. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll tell you what, too. I have one other sort of underrated Nickelodeon show. Okay. Um, and for me, it was Figure It Out. Figure It Out was really, really good, too. I think that, that that one's an underrated show that not enough people talk about. But you brought up Are You Afraid of the Dark. We'll get to my top five in a second. But I was mm-hmm. blown away they're doing an Are You Afraid of the Dark like a reboot. Yeah, me too. I was like, <laughs> that was like the best part. I was like, wait, they're doing a reboot? 
I mean, obviously, you you can't take away. It's gonna be hard to duplicate it because of the fact you can't take away the the kitsch of the whole like early '90s, late '80s esque like right. Canadian filming. Like mm-hmm. you, you and he, obviously you can't have like. Because if I'm not thinking, wasn't Ryan Gosling on an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? He was. He was. That's true. That, that's how you, that's that. how you know it's Canadian as all get up because you get like a young Ryan Gosling in there. Yes, that's so good. I'm trying to see which episode he was on. Actually, there's a whole bunch of stars that were actually on. Oh no, this it's show. it's amazing. So like funny. how much like this like little known this thing that was like filmed in Canada. I wound up producing like so many different people. Yeah, Nev Campbell, of course, we yeah. talk about Canadian, right? Eugene Bird was on there. Oh my goodness, yeah, there were a lot. <laughs> oh, it, it was it was nuts, man. To kind of just look back at the, but for me, here's here's my top five. I'll go from five to one. Mm-hmm. Keenan and Kel's number five, no doubt in my mind. I feel like that's absolutely mm-hmm. in there. Rocco's Modern Life is number four. I oh, think, good I, I think yeah. we have to throw that in there. Ren and Stimpy number mm-hmm. three. Number two, and I mentioned Keenan Kelly number five. I think number two for me, and maybe just more because of the fact that I loved all these episodes. Drake and Josh is number two. I know you didn't get the okay. Peruvian puff pepper reference right away, but people people clued you in on it. People clued you in on it. <laughs> they got me there. They got me there. Yeah, and then number one, Hey Arnold. Hey Arnold. Oh, I always forget. I don't know. I always think about Hey Arnold as the Cartoon Network show for some reason. But yes, Hey Arnold clearly the goat and one of the best theme song like theme it's one of the best soundtracks ever. like period like yeah it is hands yeah, down you know up there and i'll also throw throw in the top 10 i'll throw i'll throw in 10 through 6 while we're at it mm-hmm. spongebob at spongebob at 10 number mm-hmm. nine rugrats and i think both of those are hurt mm-hmm. spongebob was hurt because it just it peaked early on and it became a lot like the simpsons where it just kept going and yeah. my god camp core needs to be shot into the sun like i i don't need that in my life at all that'll, that'll never be on my tv as long as I live, that, that, is, that is never going to be discussed again. Rugrats, it went on a little bit too long, and then the then the spinoffs was a bad idea. Number mm-hmm. eight, Rocket Power. Yeah. Number eight, Rocket Power is in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Guts is number seven. Guts, yeah. Like how can you, like, the aggro crag? Like why did why didn't the MVP get the aggro crag? Like like give Mitch Trubisky <laughs> something. The number six legend that hit in Temple, and speaking of yeah. Mitch Trubisky. Do you think he gets a contract extension since he got the MVP? He has to. He has to. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't even. I didn't even know the question. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, find a guy to a life lifelong contract. He gets. He should be getting Patrick Mahomes' ten million, you know, ten year contract now. Just transfer it over to him. God, that would that would be, that'd be <laughs> horrible. The MVP. How many other players can say that they have the MVP? Zero. That's exactly yeah. how many. Zero. Yeah, and 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 I think. For what it's worth, Mitch Trubisky does get a ten-year contract deal because of this. He needs to give like seventy-five percent of it over to him, uh, Barstool Sports, and him a uh, PFT because PFT pretty much like he rigged the vote. Like that's what happened. Like people want to say it was the kids say, "Oh, we're Bears fans." No, it was PFT commenter. He's the one that set this whole thing yeah. up, and he oh, made sure he, he 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 stuffed the ballots. Like stop the count. That's what. Like, come on now. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know who who really thought that there were that many uh, Chicago Bears kids fans out there because there are not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is there is zero. But Ross, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week, hopefully, with the Saints heading into the NFC title game. Absolutely, brother. Looking forward to it. Enjoy the week, and I'll talk to you soon. Stay safe. All right, that was Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola. We're gonna take a quick timeout, wrap up the program with one final take. As about 
pastries. Now, what kind of pastry am I talking about? I'm talking about donuts. Why? I'll explain next, right here on 1037 The Game or 1037thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. My final take of the day has to be directed towards donuts. I'm a big guy. I like donuts. And I'll go ahead and say it. Krispy Kreme is trash. People, Krispy Kreme is trash. Don't buy into the narrative that Krispy Kreme is good. Don't get me wrong, Dunkin' Donuts I've never had before, so I don't know what to kind of rate it on, but I'm sure it's probably decent. But Krispy Kreme, at least the stuff that I've had, I haven't had it in a long time. Maybe it's gotten better, but I can say right here, right now, unequivocally, Krispy Kreme is the most overrated trash donut I have ever had. And I hope that the controversy ensues and we have people just lose their minds over the fact that I say that that is the trash donut. Honestly, Again, grew up here in the heart of Cajun country. My whole life, always loved me some freaking great, I mean, fantastic, like, Mesh's Donuts. Always been top tier, and it'll always be top tier in my mind. So hopefully you enjoyed my final take. And if you want to respond to it, well, you know, respond next Saturday. Just put it in your calendar. Hey, tomorrow, next Saturday, 11 a.m. to 1, right here on 103.7 The Game, I'm going to give Clint piece of my mind mind you i might get a piece of my piece of raymond's mind after this because raymond was not happy with me with that take over during the week but you know what i'm out of here have a great rest of your weekend nfl football coming up in a couple hours so take it easy talk to you next saturday same bad time same bad channel until next time see you hey clavis wake up the show's over oh yeah kick it